joining me on this episode of my podcast. I'm Stephen Perkins, the editor-in-chief of Outset. We're continuing with this new format of my show where I interview the emerging leaders within the conservative sphere in an effort to get to know them better. And the hope is that through these episodes, you will also get to know them better if I do my job correctly. This week, I'm talking to Caleb France, the podcast director here at Outset, as well as the host of his very own podcast, Maliberty, which can be heard every Thursday on OutsetMagazine.com. Caleb and I have known each other for a while, but it wasn't until this conversation, which we had at CPAC, it explains the background noise, that I started to realize how similar we were in terms of our initial motivation for getting involved in politics. Just to give you a hint, we both watched A Certain Crazy Libertarian Man on Fox After School. Uh, In this episode, we chat about that and more, including the number one book recommendation he has. And interestingly enough, it's not a political book. So without further ado, here's my interview with Caleb Franz. Caleb, thank you for coming on my show. It's always a pleasure. Uh, you have your own show on the Outset Network. I do, I do. It's and you've been doing really well show. with it. It is a good show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I've really enjoyed it, which is why it's still in the network. Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes uh, I, I question if uh, sometimes I'm the only one who actually enjoys what's on it. At, well, at, my father listens too uh, and gives criticism. Does he? But I'm, I'm sure he's not the only one. No, it's not. It, the criticism is not as bad as he said for my show that that's I have right. a forgettable voice. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it's depressing. It's a rough time. Um, so you're you're now the the stepping into the role of podcast director for Outset. Mm-hmm. Um, glad to have you there as well. Um, it's a you growing, don't fire me. Yeah, well, I fired you eight <laughs> times already, but that's I can't right. go away. So anyway, so the new format of my show, as I've been saying, um, is wanting to get to know people more personally. And, and I, I know you, but for, for all intents and purposes, I will act as the liaison between listeners and you and, and yeah. just kind of learn to, to try to figure out why you hate roads so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are, how do you, well, before we get into that, where'd you grow up? You're from Ohio. Yeah, I'm, from I'm, I'm uh, born and raised in, actually, that's a lie. I'm, I wasn't born in Ohio. I was born in West Virginia. Um, but I've lived in Ohio all my life, but I live in Appalachia, more or or less. (laughs) And, um, my, my roots are very deeply embedded in, in Appalachian culture. So it's, it's interesting to see that because that entire area is, is, has been living an economic depression. Yeah. Uh, more or less for the past 30 years um, where the rest of the country has been going through cycles of like highs and lows that that area has just been a constant a constant low no matter what so uh, it it gives me a a different perspective especially when you know we we come to things like CPAC here Um, and it gives me a different perspective because I know just how depressing it can it can be whenever whenever people just lose hope and then uh being able to come here and 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 feel like i'm i'm doing something important and feel like i'm i'm making a difference uh especially from where i come from it 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 speaks a lot yeah um there's there's this series on facebook after the devos confirmation hearings of 
proud product of a public school. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's your schooling background? Um, I I went to public schooling, and uh, which shocking, I know, right? <laughs> How did a libertarian that that might actually uh, had something that to do with it? Why, why <laughs> yeah, you yeah like, sure. School sucks so uh, much. Uh, yeah, no, I I I, I enjoyed my years in in school for the most part um i still you know keep in touch with a few people that i i I met from from schools but i it bothers me the way that we do schooling in general because in no other situation in life will will you be connected to people the way that that our the, the way that we think of schooling connects with us. Mm-hmm. It's only about your age and your location. We're here, and you're from Texas, and I'm from Ohio. And and if it wasn't for if if it wasn't for this, then you know we would never cross paths with each right. other. But we're connecting because of a certain ideology or or like-minded uh, principles. Um, and I think that if schooling you know even like something as simple as school choice if that was applied i i think that quality would go up yeah and 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 it's interesting you bring that up because i went to public schools as well well after second grade and Mm -hmm. um you know i i just don't think of myself as someone who works well in the traditional educational environment High school, it wasn't like it was hard it's very for me. Structured. It, it was so structured, and, yeah. and, and it felt like I, you know, it, it's kind of, and part of it is probably just being a teenager, especially in high school. You're like, why am I learning this crap? Yeah. But even in college now, like I'm in my senior year, I'm a degree in political science, and public relations. I'm taking biology as the as the basic course. I'm like, why am I learning this crap? Mm-hmm. And I think what it was is, um, and part of it is, I kind of knew from. Uh, from freshman year, say, what I wanted to do. Like, I, I had a, a more clear path than some people do, um, and I understand that I kind of, perhaps I was lucky in that way. Um, but schooling just seems like we're educating people as if they're all the same. There's no variation for a difference in learning style. There's no variation for the people um, who are good at traditional schooling and in, in those areas and, and people who aren't. Um, and so changing the education system, especially making it to where people can connect with other people that aren't like them, uh, I, I think would be really powerful. That's, it's an interesting area. Yeah, and <clears throat> I, I would say that one of the great sins about uh, the current way that we do schooling, whether it's public or private or, or whatever it may be, I think that one of the, the greatest sins is that we... we trap people in a certain way of thinking Mm -hmm. and we make people who typically would be completely original and creative and we we lock them in this box mentality that this is the way I have to go because this is the way that everyone goes I have to go through uh, you know I have to finish high school and then go through college and then get my degree and then uh, work in this nine to five job in a little cubicle in an office, and I just think that's so depressing. Like, why would anyone want to? Like, if you do, that's fine. But at least, if you do, make it because that's what you actually want, not because that's what you feel like you have to do. True. And and I I, I think that is one of the greatest sins of the current way we do schooling because I know a lot of smart individuals uh, that I grew up with, and. They're just 
moving right along the same old path that everyone else has. And I don't understand why when their potential is so much greater than that. Yeah. Uh, tell me about your parents. Uh, were they were they involved in politics? Well, first of all, what did they do? Um, my father is a uh, juvenile probation officer, so um, I get a, a certain conservative perspective, though I, I differ with them on a few things. Uh, my mother's a nurse. Um, I wouldn't say that they were politically involved, mm -hmm. but but politics was certainly a common topic around around the house uh, I was in scouts also but they were engaged like they voted and yeah and yeah they, they always they always voted and, and and as far as that goes um, I wouldn't say that they were terribly engaged much further than that but just the discussion aspect is is what remained uh, the norm around my household uh, and that's what got me interested and that that's what introduced me to a lot of a lot of other ways of thinking and a lot of um, just the idea that that I can do more that you know I, I can I can get into this uh, field and I, I can I can make something for myself. What was the moment, or was there a moment that you first realized that politics was intriguing that you may even enjoy it a little bit? Yeah. So um, I don't. I actually don't think I've I've publicly told this told this story before um, I first became really interested during the 2008 election I believe uh, uh, you share Same time, yeah. similar yeah um, I was I think in I think I was in sixth grade maybe and I was the one you know going around talking about the state of the country and everyone <laughs> else is just like you know, you're this weird kid that just talks about politics all the time. Go get away from me! And you know, I was I was years ahead of my time in in that regard, I guess, because it it, it may have cost me a few friends in, until the sure. latter years in, in high school. Uh, whenever that that became interesting to them at that point, but uh, I I got interested and intrigued in the 2008 election. Then after Barack Obama won the presidency then I, I kind of made a commitment to myself uh, where I just thought, you know, I think I should probably like just know where I stand. I should, I, I, I don't like the idea of, of just copying what, what my parents uh, might believe. I never did. I, I wanted to be my own person. And if that means uh, differing with a few things that my parents believe, that's fine. That was fine with me. I always had like a conservative leaning. I always knew that uh, the government that governs best governs least. Um, I always understood that. But, uh, you know, and this is kind of my road to, to libertarianism. I, I started listening to uh, Glenn Beck, of all people. And, and, and Around what, about 2008? More 2009, I, okay. I would say it was. It was right after he he just got picked up by by Fox News, and, right, and okay. I started watching him on television, uh, and it became almost like a ritual. You know, I would I would get off school and I would come home and I would turn on Fox as and kids do, as sure. as all yeah. kids do, and I would turn on Fox and and watch Glenn Beck for an hour, and and what. Uh, it's interesting for me because I know a lot of libertarians, and and they do not like Glenn Beck, and. Um, <laughs> Which I think is so funny because I just think that uh, 
I think that Glenn Beck is actually one of the most consequential person to give libertarians credibility outside of perhaps Ron Paul or yeah. in Rand Paul um, because he would go on television and, and have whole shows about Woodrow Wilson and, and, and Hayek and people yeah. like that and, and, and these are not like popular topics you know you know who, who, who goes on television and just starts talking about history for an hour yeah. and, and that dominates the, the ratings yeah. of all things um, so I think that libertarianism whether or not they like it or not owes a lot of credit to to Glenn Beck and, and certainly I uh, have have a lot of my foundation and just watching that and I don't agree with them on everything and I don't think that it's healthy for anyone to agree with anyone on everything um, but I, I still think that he's somebody who questions boldly and honestly uh, even to this day and that's something that I can respect and that's that's why I, I still consider him one of the great influences in, in my political philosophy. So a couple of things. We have so many parallels here because it was yeah. also 2008. And I was talking to someone earlier about this um, where I first kind of had that aha moment. Yeah. As I was watching the Republican primary debates, you had, you know, these, these Giuliani, Mitt Romney. You had all, all these really great Republicans. Um, and you had Ron Paul on the stage saying things completely different it was unheard of yeah. and, and, and and I I, I would watch it and I didn't know that I like I didn't know what my politics were at the time and it was it was weird because I ended up like I like Barack Obama for the idealism I liked his vision for the country but I also like Ron Paul for the policy stuff and it was really interesting and in 2008 yeah. I ended up um, really I, I as a, a seventh grader, right, I was telling my friends of voting age, family friends, vote for Bob Barr, the libertarian candidate. And they're like, who the hell is this guy? Um, uh, but so I started listening to Ron Paul and I was like, this is different. This is interesting. And wow, this world of politics was interesting. And my parents were never politically active, but they were engaged and they voted. And I went with them to vote. So I saw that up, up close and personal. Um, and I, the same thing, I would go to school and talk politics and my assistant principal would say, you can't, you can't say that school. And I'd pull the old, actually first amendment, you know, yeah, and I was like, I can. I can do As it. As a matter of fact. <laughs> he said, this, this is not a place for it. You're, yeah. You know, you're, you're in seventh grade. This is not uh, a free speech zone. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Glenn Beck was interesting because I started watching him. My dad worked from home, so I'd come home and he'd have the TV on in his office just as background noise. And it was CNN. It was back when Glenn Beck was with CNN. Sure. Um, and I watched a little bit there. And then I really started watching when he went to Fox. And Glenn Beck is the reason that I got interested in media. And, mm -hmm. and like you said, he was doing... He that's was, exactly the same. Actually, that's he, why I wanted to do... Uh, radio and, yeah. and podcasting in general. This, like, the Liberty is, right. is is a sort of a spawn from that childhood aspiration. And what's so interesting, as you pointed out, was he was doing shows about topics that n I don't think anyone else could have done it like he did it and gotten no. those ratings or talked about what he did and gotten Nobody. those ratings because it, it was just it was so interesting. And I, here I was in eighth grade, and I wasn't like. I didn't. I hadn't read what he was talking about, but I, I was watching his show and I heard him say, "Don't believe me. Go out and research do your own this. Homework. Do your own yeah. homework." I thought that was profound. And I started to, and I was, but but what fascinated me is he was doing something that was never tried before, and he was being successful with it. And mm -hmm. when he went over to GBTV later, The Blaze, um, 
Yeah. You know, they have their challenges, but I still think it was a very revolutionary thing. And as a media entrepreneur, he was very influential in my own kind of, because I started off high school wanting to do business or law, and then I realized that uh, political media and things like that were actually more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever you started getting more engaged, were you, what kind of stuff were you doing to, to kind of, what outlets were you, were you volunteering for campaigns? Um, were you, <laughs> so, like, what, what, what did you do there? So I was, um, I think it should be, it should be known that I was not at all a, a libertarian at that time. Mm. Uh, and I actually thought Ron Paul was just batshit crazy. <laughs> uh, but as I said, you know, Glenn Beck was very influential in, in my way of thinking at the time and, and continues to be. And he served as kind of a bridge because that's when I started thinking less about partisanship and more about what the principles are. And that's sure. around the time I started, um, started really reading as well because, like, what seventh grader or, or eighth grader wants to sit down and just start cracking open oh economic God. books. You I know? had every Glenn Beck book. Yeah, that was yeah, at the yeah. Time. That's it's like it's it just doesn't happen, you know. Yeah. So, whenever I started doing that, that's when I um, that's when I really started my journey toward libertarianism, uh, and I just realized, you know, government can't do much of anything, and. Um, the first thing I really did to really get involved after I had several years of just reading and kind of, you know, just holding back because I didn't want to get too involved until I really knew where I stood. Um, so after about four years of just trying to absorb as much as humanly possible, as much as a, a kid can, um, I wrote my first letter to the editor in my local paper right around just a few weeks before the the um, the 2012 election okay uh, and it was it was relatively short it was you know nothing I'm sure that anyone hasn't heard of before um, and and then after that after that election that was when I decided uh, I, I I'm not just going to go for the Republican nominee at, at, from this point forward just because they're the Republican nominee, because that's yeah. still what I was kind of doing. Um, and that's when I started getting involved with, with organizations like Turning Point uh, USA, and um, then later, a few years later, you know, you, you approached me about, about writing for Outset, and now here we are at, at, at CPAC and, yeah. and doing my own thing. Um, you're talking about kind of you started reading up on more things. I want to ask you a little bit about books. What's what is the one book that influenced you the most? Oh gosh, here's a. I don't read I too it, much. It, it, <laughs> yeah. I don't actually. Yeah. <laughs> more of a USA Today because it's in color. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I know it's I'm hard not, for I'm one. Not Tommy. But. Yeah. It's it's not. I I don't know that there was one specific book, but there were. A few, uh, a few books that really stuck out to me. One was um, Seven Events That Made America America. It's by Larry Swikert. And um, it's somebody who I, I don't necessarily agree with on everything, but it's, it's a phenomenal book. It's a short book, too. But it's, it's a book that really explains the power of individualism and the power of what 
communities can do without the assistance of government. One chapter that just absolutely stuck out to me was a chapter on um, a flood in, in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Uh, and there was no FEMA at the time that this happened. You know, this was back in the 1800s when the government was considerably smaller. And, and they, you know, they, they only did, at least the federal government, they only did what uh, was constitutionally allowed. Right. Uh, and that community pulled together and they had donations and... and here they had their entire livelihoods just completely obliterated by this flood after this uh, dam broke, much like uh, what we saw recently in, in California. Um, and the power of private uh, charity supplied them with enough food to where they wouldn't be starving for months. And that, that was before FEMA, that was before any kind of government assistance program. And, and it, it made me realize, like, you know what, we really don't need the government to do these kind of things. You know, a lot of people will give leeway to, well, we, we, we need the government at least to provide a safety net or, you know, do X, Y, and Z, finding some kind of, of reasoning behind it. And that just made me realize that when you give individuals the opportunity to help their fellow man, they will when, when the, the, the choice is there. So trail off from where I was originally wanting to go, because I, I want to touch on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I, ideologically, I, I'm fully there with you. Like I, I think of that, I, but I think realistically, and, and I'll ask it to you this way. Do you think that we're in a time where where that's even going to work with, with the conditions that we have now? Yes. Because we have charities now. I do. And people aren't exponentially donating to those charities. Um, I, I absolutely do think that, uh, that, this is, that we are in a time more than ever uh, to where we can do these kind of things. Why because is technology is exploding. The free market is working the way it never has before, despite government constantly trying to disrupt um, everything that, that they're trying to do. Uh, and we are coming to a point in society to where uh, technology is improving so much that, that nothing government can do can possibly stop it. And this is a, 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 a true, um, it, it speaks true to our humanity and to the kind of progress that we are making. Um, and I think now more than ever, the biggest deterrent as to why um, they might not is simply because people rely on government to do these kind of things. They expect government to do these kind of things. Um, and when you realize that government isn't there to do it for them, People automatically will will pick up the slack, and I have I have full confidence in, in man's not man's men ability to do that. And I make the distinction between man and men because mankind as a whole and uh, as a collective can get pretty ugly, but men as in individuals they will always they will always uh, choose 
good in the end. They might have some you know, difficulties getting there and they might make some wrong decisions before they choose that, but in the end, uh, things will work out the, the way that they're supposed to work out. Going back to books, uh, I don't know if you give away a lot of books, but if, if you were giving someone a book, like if there was a book, that, <laughs> one book it's, it's that, funny. that you would recommend, <laughs> what, would you, uh, what would you give away? It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, I, I kind of did this with, with you a few months ago. Is that the book? Uh, yes, it is the book, actually, as a matter of fact, and, and that is, it, it expanded uh, and confirmed more or less what I, what I believe. The book is called The Go-Giver. Um, and it makes the moral case for capitalism in a way that most people won't really realize it because the guy who wrote it um, is a complete free market libertarian. Uh, but it's, if, if you didn't know that, you wouldn't, you wouldn't notice it. It's not like it's hitting you over the head, you know. It's, um, it's kind of the way, like, The Hobbit has like certain Christian undertones sure, in it yeah. versus the Chronicles of Narnia, right. which is very obviously, you know, this is, this is about Jesus, right. you know, uh, the book kind of works like that, I would say. And, and it speaks, um, it speaks to people's humanity and, and that when you do good, it will benefit you personally. But if you do it not because you want the benefits, but because you genuinely want to do good. Yeah. And, and I like that book because it was told, it, it wasn't like... It's a uh, parable. It, it's, it, it is. Yeah. It's, it's story-based, and it's not just spitting information out. Like, it, I read it in two days. Yeah. I read it in, in two and a half hours, um, and I like it because it was, it was that story-based thing. And you really do walk away. It's, it's funny because it's stuff that you think of like, well... Obviously, duh, yeah. But duh. until you're reminded and until you have that story to connect these ideas mm-hmm. with, uh, you walk away from that book like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, that just makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is one of the most influential books in my uh, current way of thinking. Um, and it, it, it shows us, I think, I think that is the kind of language that we should be speaking, not... While I, I agree with someone like Ayn Rand a lot, I think the messaging comes off a little bit harsh and, sure. and strong. But when you message it the way that he does in, in The Go-Giver, I think that's the right, the right and the winning message to win over hearts and minds to sure. the cause of liberty. So um, uh, kind of on the reading um, front, mm-hmm. A lot of news. There's a lot of sources now. As you said, technology is increasing. And with that, it seems like there's just endless amounts of information. Um, I, I'm curious what your media diet looks like. How do you cut through the noise? How do you consume news? What, what sources do you use? Like when you're trying to figure out what happened overnight, what are you doing? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting actually because as much as we may like it or hate it, uh, Twitter, I think, is one of the greatest media sources of our time. It really is. Uh, and I, I try to go for, you know, reliable sources and, and I try to, you know, go for multiple sources. But yeah. the fact is, is that I, I find it interesting. I talked a little bit about this with, with Jack Hunter, who I interviewed, uh, you know, a couple days ago. And... Um, I also went to the to the museum here in, in Washington D.C. Such a great museum! It, it it really is. I I highly recommend it. They 
I, I went to the gift shop. This is slightly off topic. I went to the gift shop and 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 purchased uh, a few souvenirs. And then the lady at the cash register goes, "Would you like to donate one dollar in preserving our our First Amendment freedoms?" And automatically, I, I perk up and I'm like. <laughs> Well, of course. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I'm into. That's that's, that's my thing, obviously. Um, but anyway, what was the question? I'm sorry. Uh, so the question was just like, what is your media diet? Right, right, like? right, 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 right. Of course. Um, yeah. So I found it interesting. I I, I found myself thinking about this um, very recently. That there is no such thing as unbiased news. Okay. Right. Everyone has a bias, yeah. no matter what. Even believing in something as simple as freedom of speech or, or freedom sure. of press, yeah. that that in and of itself is a bias. Right. Um, so I don't try to necessarily look for unbiased news because it doesn't exist. What I try to look for is um, news that I know that despite their bias, they will always try to find and search for the truth. Um, even if even if the truth sometimes gets in the way of their bias. And that's what I search for. You know, uh, publications like Rare, uh, Rare.us, I think is a phenomenal publication. It's not a totally libertarian. Jack Hunter and, and Zuri Davis and, and individuals like that, who I've had on my uh, program a few times. Um, it's not like a complete libertarian publication. It's, it's very center-right libertarian, conservatarian, if you will. Right. Um, but I find that they really do a they really do try to make their their bias known, but also make it known that their bias won't get in the way of the truth. Sure. And and that's something I respect, and that's something I look for in in publications. And it's something incredible when a writer who has a bias will still report the truth that goes against their I, bias. Yes, exactly. Such I agree. respect for that. it, but you don't see it very much. No, you um, don't. You you see a lot of clickbait and a lot right. of like Breitbart or something like that. Who's like number two here on Radio Row at CPAC, yeah. which like they're ahead of Fox News yeah. of all things. I I think that's like mind-blowing so twitter and rare are two sources any other any other sort do you dabble with the major papers um you know i i kind of sometimes i'll i might read something from fox or i i have breitbart blocked on twitter <laughs> I, I i do i and uh i tweeted out the other day when the whole milo thing happened that like uh i I just because Breitbart is not employing Milo anymore, it doesn't mean that I won't unblock them from sure. Twitter. Um, but I, I I don't go for for alt right publications as much as I try to because because of exactly what I said uh, before. They obviously have a bias, but they also let that bias get in the way of the truth. Sure, which is my kind of litmus test in, in finding publications right. to to look for. Um, sometimes I'll go to to Reason. Reason Magazine, um, which is also another libertarian publication, uh, but they also have a very strong bias, yeah. you know, so uh, I, I try to diversify it a little bit. Sometimes I go to left-leaning uh, or center-left. Um, the Hill, I think, does a decent job in reporting, I find. Sometimes I think they're, they're a little overreacting about certain things, especially with Trump, um, but I, I think that The Hill is pretty decent in, in trying to find the truth and, and uh, reporting on it and just just things like that I <laughs> believe it or not I, I don't think CNN is nearly as bad as what the Trump administration do I. Uh, no. tries to claim certainly 
not as much as like MSNBC or, or something like that. Like, right. if you want to talk about fake news, sure, NBC is 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 the much more fake. Morning Joe, watch out. I yes yes I agree. <laughs> I actually like Morning Joe. Yeah. I do I do. I I find it interesting, and I I I know there some of it. You know, like Joe's a little bit more right. Um, some on on their panel leans left, but yeah, I I actually do enjoy you know talk shows like that so what kind of people do you generally follow on twitter because my I, I know a lot of people who follow politicians government departments i know you, you don't follow government departments but <laughs> government departments news source like wh- what does that mix look like of people that you generally like to follow and hear from on twitter um i enjoy people who will tweet things that make me think yeah you know who, who can really just hit the nail over the head yeah. in 140 characters or less um, I'll, I'll follow a few publications, some of the ones that who you know I, I have mentioned, um, but but I I mostly follow individuals, and and that I think that speaks true in just life in general. Yeah. Um, and also in in my show, there's a reason why I haven't really tried to get any politicians on my show um, uh, as of yet, because I I want to find answers and solutions outside of Washington DC first sure. because that's where the change happens it's it must come from um, individuals and from the culture and it, and we can't look for a Washington DC for all of our answers and, and that's why I, I do that are the individuals are they writers are they activists are they people who just kind of um, uh, uh, yes is, 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 is the, yes sure. just all sorts of people um, writers activists um, you know philosophers or um, media personalities, um, a, f- a few, yeah, just just interesting people that yeah. I I try to I try to limit it to a certain degree, but at the same time, if if I think they have worthy opinions and worthy things to say, that then I'll try to try to look for that. Twitter's challenging for me because it, it, it is by far my most favorite social media platform. I like the dis- I like the discussion that goes on. I like. Um, you, you know, breaking news certainly happens a lot of the times through Twitter. Yeah. Uh, but it's a challenge because I get on there and, and it's with all social media and it's, you know, damn millennials. It's like I don't want to get off. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it even brings me joy. Like social media many times just feels like something that I have, like I'm tethered to it and it's annoying. So I tr- I've been trying to get more away from Twitter and, and getting news through social media. Um, but I always feel drawn back in. So it's like this challenge of... It's, it's funny you say that because um, uh, I, I know uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, Glenn Beck recently went on the Rubin Report with Dave Rubin. Yeah. And, and he talked to a little bit something similar to this to where like when he was on television, that's all he would care about is, is the ratings and, and the numbers and the people who are watching and everything. And, and now that's kind of ingrained in our, in our society to where even like, you know, 60 year old grandmas are going to Facebook, just like constantly updating, trying to see like how many likes do I have on this, on this status. And, and I, I'm guilty of that. And, and I'm sure, you know, you are too. It releases a chemical. It does. It really does. Um, and I think that, that's fine to a certain extent, but you, it's it's a fine line that that yeah. you you walk on, and you have to realize that your life isn't only in in social media. You have to walk outside the line. You and I chatted about this before with other people from outset of um, people who go on social media, and 
you know, obviously on Twitter you're you're limited by characters, but um, I I really try to unfollow or mute people who their whole thing is trying to condense complex messages that should be complex. We shouldn't be afraid of of engaging in a higher level of conversation, but they try to condense it into into short. Like I, I'm all for the funny spin on stuff, but I'm also very wary of of just like slogans and and catchphrases. Uh, there's certainly a place for it, right? Because it gets people talking. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think that... Um, I, I do think that there is certainly a place for it. And I think that if you can open up the conversation to with these catchphrases or with these slogans or something to that effect, I think that you should. And I think that's okay. Yeah. But also don't just be caught up in the catchphrases and the slogans and... Um, actually go deeper into it when you have opened that door. I think it, it, it should be a, a portal, if you will, you know, into these greater ideas. Um, and I think that sometimes you need to, you need those portals. Some people do need those portals because it's, it's like I said with, uh, you know, earlier with the bridge, everyone needs some kind of a bridge whenever you're getting from point A, point a to point B. Um, I wasn't this, you know, libertarian minarchist overnight. Uh, I, I, I needed that little push and the, the baby steps, and I can understand that. But and I think sometimes those do have an effect, but also sometimes it has the opposite effect. And, and that's all we care about is is the portal when it should be a a way to get to the end, not the end itself. Yeah. Um. One question I have about policy. Um, what's yeah. an issue that you think is going to be a top issue in our lifetime? Like in our what, lifetime. Yeah, what's something um, that we're not talking <laughs> about right now that, that is probably going to come up soon? Mm, that's a good question. I wasn't ready I'll give for you, that I'll, I'll give you an example. <laughs> from So Bill Gates recently said that yeah. um, if you replace workers with robots, you should be taxed on the robots. Like, you should have to pay taxes for that replacement. Uh, for that replacement in the workforce. Yeah, um, I, I so think that's so a that's something like idea, wow, though. that may be an issue of, of how do you deal with these um, robot workers essentially. Yeah, that, that. it's it's interesting because I think we are hitting a point, and you know I mentioned this earlier when we were talking about how humanity will ultimately a be a, a net positive, and we don't necessarily need government, but also the issues that we will be talking about in the future yeah. will be radically different. And we honestly don't know uh, some of the things that sure. may be an issue in even even five years, yeah. you know, um, let alone I any further than that. Uh, and I think that uh, there there will be issues uh, that will always be around, and I think that um, there will be issues that uh, that that will just constantly be brought back up. Um, and even when technology and things change, that root core issues won't. So, you know, privacy uh, will constantly be an issue. More so, actually, I believe. I think that will be one of the biggest issues um, coming up in the next 5, 10, 20 years. I think it will become much more complicated um, and it will be much more important for us as individuals and for us as, as lovers of, of liberty and freedom to, to, to stand up for that and fight for that. Um, I also think that uh, socially, if I can get into this a little bit, which I don't talk too much about social issues, but I do think that 
um, people will just be left alone in the regards of they can just do what they want, whether it be drugs or whether it be, um, I don't know, prostitution or I I don't know, something like that, you know. But I do think a lot of those kind of things will be legalized in the future because a lot of people are just starting to look at it like common sense, you know. Why why should people go to jail for for having possession of marijuana? That it just doesn't make sense. It's a plant. It it, it doesn't it ha- it hasn't had a record of killing anyone ever whereas things like, you know, cigarettes or alcohol does. Um, I think that marijuana will will be legalized in most states except for a few states, maybe one or two that are holding out and by the end of the decade relatively quickly. It, I think it'll work similar to the way that, that gay marriage worked, uh, where it started and then once it started, it, it multiplied and then that number multiplied and the number of states and I, I think marijuana will work uh, very similarly into that effect. You're already seeing the, the seeds of that issue coming up. Yeah. Um, well, very cool. Uh, tell us a little bit about your show and where people can find it. Um, so the show is called No Liberty. It is the voice of liberty for a new generation. That's our, our tagline, and we try to cover as many topics as possible. Um, it's obviously on the Outset Network at Outset Magazine, and um, it's on Twitter, at Liberty, and then I'm also on Twitter, at Caleb Franz. Uh, and it's also on iTunes, uh, along with other modes of podcasting. Play, RSA, yeah, yeah so... Uh, and, I would love if people would go to it and subscribe and sure. and leave a little rating and, and stuff like that. So. Absolutely. Uh, any parting words to people who are listening and uh, just any to steal to steal uh, Tabitha's tagline. Any final thoughts here? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So just just uh, you know whatever you believe in and whatever you want to fight for and 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 go for. I don't think that anything should prevent that from happening. I think that the only deterrent is uh, your own motivation. Awesome. So, Caleb, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks to Caleb one more time for coming on the show this week. Thank you to all of you who listen not just to this episode, but to this podcast in general. I really appreciate it. You can find all of our other podcasts at outsetmagazine.com slash podcast. The one I recommend listening to, in addition to Liberty, of course, is Acerbic Review by Holmes Libran, the new show that we have. It's typically under 10 minutes. You can listen on your way to work, school, the emergency room, whatever you're into. You can connect with Outset on social media at Outset Network on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can connect with me at Stephen underscore Perkins on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins, all one word, stephenperkins.me, basically just my name in a lot of different places. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Until we speak again next week, take care.